What's up, you guys? Welcome into this episode of the Point God Podcast. I'm hyped to be on here again. Hoping to return to some normalcy soon. Um, kind of a big point in the sports calendar year, for this year at least. Um, as the NFL reaches the end of their regular season, NBA is already firing back up preseasons right around the corner. MLB for agency is kicking off, and the NHL will hopefully get their start date together soon. So I'm just hoping that things can get back to some semi-normalcy. You know, it's been hard for everyone out here, and just having regular sports back without, you know, COVID restrictions that have been plaguing some sports, uh, definitely the NFL right now. Um just you know less craziness in the world but in this episode we're going to get right into the nba um and you know make some predictions for this season i'm just gonna start with this episode and you know talk about in detail a few teams that i think could be labeled dark horse teams and you know i'll uh i'll explain that in a little more detail um, what I mean by the dark horse isn't you know necessarily just title contenders, but teams that I think are kind of being slept on and could just surprise people. Um, you know, there's it's kind of hard to come up with a dark horse for the title in the NBA. The NBA, I think, more so than other leagues, there generally is just a handful of teams that typically, you know, preseason are the odds-on favorites, and one of those will win. Um, Not always the case with the NFL anymore that the Patriots are gone. Um, Definitely not the case with the NHL, and not the case with the MLB either. Um, But yeah, I'll get right into it here. So three dark horse teams that I think, you know, based on their off-season, their development where they stand right now could really exceed expectations. And I'm going to start in the East here. And I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, You know, the Hawks were a terrible team last season. Um, Really just was Trey Young, a few young players, and they really didn't have any sort of identity um, you know, Trey Young, just a spectacular, spectacular offensive player. Uh, just amazing pick and roll operator where you can run your entire offense through him. Yes, he's very much so limited defensively, but you know, you're, you're nitpicking at that point. You're happy you have Trey Young on your team if you're an NBA team. And they were probably the busiest team in this offseason. So the players they added through three agency were Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovic, and Rajon Rondo, and Chris Dunn. Then, with the fourth overall pick, I believe, they drafted Onyeka Okongwu, the big man from USC. And I'll start by saying this. Think about how short this offseason is. It's going to be hard for teams especially teams that are young and teams that brought in a lot of new important players to gel right away. I mean, they have less time. It's a short, way shorter off season. They're going to jump right into preseason. 
I mean, there's trades happening right now where guys are getting traded and they're going to have to be part of their new team in two weeks. It's almost like a mid-season trade at this point. So I think the Hawks could 100% get off to a slow start. I really have looked at these signings in detail because I'm trying to figure out what they're doing. You know, This is not the approach a lot of teams do. Um, when you're a team as bad as the Hawks were last offseason, you don't always just throw a lot of money around and then hope you're going to be the best team in the league or be a title contender. I think establishing an identity and trying to get rid of a losing culture is the approach they're obviously taking. And they want to surround Trey Young with talent, and that's 100% what they did. So, you know, I'll start with Gallinari. I mean, that's just a match made in heaven. They couldn't really stretch the floor last year, the Hawks. Gallo is 100% one of the best shooters in the league. Having him on the perimeter with Trey Young having ball handling duties, so many pick and pop opportunities. And, you know, the Hawks have a couple of amazing pick and roll big men um, that I'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, having Gallinari there as a just additional weapon, I mean, that's exactly <laughs> the kind of player any team would love to have. Um, and, you know, he's an older player and they paid him, but who cares? You know, anyone would have given him that money. Now let's go into the guards a bit. So they signed both Rajon Rondo and Chris Dunn. And, you know, right off the gate, I like the Rondo signing. And I like Chris Dunn as a player. And at first, I just didn't really understand why they... Um, I didn't understand why they signed both of them. You know, Rondo and Chris Dunn have very similar player profiles. Just great on-ball defenders, feisty defenders, can handle the ball, playmakers, but also they cannot stretch the floor or shoot whatsoever. And, you know, I don't want to kind of stoop Rondo to a lower level because Rondo's had, you know, a storied career at the Celtics, champion, all-star, and obviously, everyone knows about playoff Rondo and the role he played with the Lakers this past uh, postseason run. But again, yeah, it's just similar player profiles, and I don't really know why I need two of them. But, you know, the more I think about it, this is more just solely for Trey Young, both these guys. And as I touched on at the beginning, you know, Trey Young is a bad defender. I mean, there's, you can't, there's no way around it. He's undersized, smaller, um, he just has trouble with bigger guards. But, you know, Rondo and Dunn are going to both be playing heavy minutes, and they can take on the tough point guard assignments for Trey Young. And, you know, when Young is literally doing everything on offense for the Hawks, having his uh, defensive workload eased is it's going to be a big deal. And, you know, the Hawks really had no guards last season. Other guards included DeAndre Bembry, and Jeff Teague, who didn't play a game. Or I'm sorry, he played a few games and then got injured. So really, Trae Young had no help last year, especially from fellow guards. And it's not only the defense, but to have other guys that can create offense for others, that's big, and it's what I always touch on, is having multiple facilitators and why it's so important. And going back to Rondo, that's exactly what happened with the Lakers. I was a little worried about the Lakers in the beginning of the postseason. They did not look very good or efficient. And then Rondo was really the wild card because 
not only was he great on defense, but really it was having someone other than LeBron who could create offense for others. So while other defenses are just, you know, obviously so zeroed in on LeBron and his playmaking, Rondo just does his thing with limited opposition. And I think that's the idea here with the Hawks. You know, you have both Dunn and Rondo who can take playmaking away from Trey Young. And what that does is it opens up the offense for everyone and once again takes pressure off of Trey Young. You need multiple ball handlers. Then they bring in Bogdanovich, who is just instant buckets on offense. And, you know, they have some wings, young wings, that are uh, project to potentially be scorers, like Cam Reddish and Kevin Hoyter. They're still good young players, but they're basically thrown into big roles immediately. And, you know, it's a reason why the Hawks weren't good at all last year. It's not to say young players can't handle big roles immediately, but on a team that doesn't really have support around them, and Quader and Reddish both do profile as kind of projects. They both flash, they both had really bad moments, but, you know, a kind of two to three year approach is the right idea for prospects like that. So now with Bogdanovich and Gallinari and Trey Young, there is a ton of shooting going on at the perimeter. And then you have Quader and Reddish as secondary scoring options. I think it all fits together really nicely. But I haven't even gotten to the big men yet. We all know John Collins, great young big man for the Hawks. Kind of a throwback pick and roll power forward, but he's very efficient scoring. He was actually the highest scoring pick and roll man last season. And then they bring in Onyeka Okongwu, who was one of my favorite players in the draft. Okongwu is big, strong, athletic center who projects as a terrific rim protector and also a rim runner. Okongwu loves catching alley-oops, great at second chance points, and he's going to be a great pairing with Trey Young. Now Okongwu is injured and probably won't uh, debut for a couple of months, but like I said, I think the Hawks are more of a second-half team here because of the short turnover and all the new faces they're bringing in. And there actually is one other player that's new on the Hawks, although he was traded to the team last season, and that's the forgotten guy, Clint Capella. Capella is a great rim runner, and I think people kind of forgot he existed because he got traded to the Hawks and never played a game for them. He should be healthy and ready to go, and I don't see any reason why the 26-year-old Capella would be anything significantly less than what he was with the Rockets. Again, it's just another terrific role man for Trey Young. So when you have Trey Young, who's just one of the best playmakers and offensive threats in the NBA, he's going to have pick-and-roll opportunities with Collins and Capella and Okonglu. He'll be surrounded by shooters, and he'll have guards that can actually take on defensive assignments for him. You know, looking at how the East uh, projects this year, I'm not exactly sure where the Hawks will land, but I think they can potentially reach a seven seed in the East. You know, there's a lot of teams kind of in that weird spot. Uh, you have like the Pacers, the Magic, the Wizards, maybe the Bulls, the Pistons. But I really believe the Hawks are a better team than the majority of those rosters. I really love what they did. They put together a squad of shooters and defenders and rim runners, basically just saying, I got you to Trey Young. We'll see how far they really can go, but don't be surprised if the Hawks make a playoff push this year. Now I'm going to stay in the East for the next 
team. And as I kind of prefaced, when I think Dark Horse, I just think exceeding expectations or a team that's kind of not really being talked about. And as I'm staying in the East, you know, you kind of have a solid, I think everyone's going to have more of the same, the top six, the top six teams being Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Nets, Raptors, and 76ers. And the 76ers are the team I want to talk about here. I get that, you know, the 76ers have kind of been a jumbled mess the past couple of years, just starting off with the fact that they built their team the way that so many teams want to build their team. They trusted the process. They dra- had two high draft picks, both turned into all-stars, and then they took it from there. Well, let's go back two years ago when they had Jimmy Butler, who was kind of a hero in this uh, past season's playoffs. But that Sixers team, with a core of Embiid and Simmons, they were really that Kawhi shot away from going really far in the playoffs to the West, uh, Eastern Conference Finals. You know, Kawhi had a Game 7 buzzer beater, and that was that. The Sixers were going to be back next year. They were still young. But then the season happened. Al Horford was getting paid a boatload of money. It didn't really gel with the front court of Embiid, and it's something I touched in one of my point guard articles from months and months ago about where do the 76ers go from here? Well, they reached the playoffs. Ben Simmons got hurt, and they lost to the Celtics in five games. Just disappointing all around. And, you know, now the teams to beat in the East are seemingly the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, and, of course, a lot of people are going to jump on the nets, which is completely understandable. They have Kevin Durant coming back with Kyrie Irving and a really deep team. But the Sixers are really just not talked about now. And, you know, in comes a whole new regime. Daryl Morey from the Houston Rockets, the general manager, immediately kicks Al Horford out. And he gives up draft capital. But, you know what? That's what you have to do to get rid of an obscene contract like that. And it's not even that it was an obscene contract. It was that the player himself just did not fit with the team. He made the Sixers worst. The front court of Joel Embiid and Al Horford just doesn't work. Now they have a new coach, Doc Rivers. And, you know, Doc has obviously had success in the NBA. Last season kind of ended in turmoil with the Clippers. But, I mean, it's a fresh face and definitely a coach players want to play for. And of course, the Sixers are pretty strapped for cash, even with trading away Al Horford. They have money tied up in Simmons, Embiid, and Tobias Harris. So really, they just tooled at their roster a bit. And they acquired Danny Green, and in one of my favorite under-the-radar moves of the season, they traded Josh Richardson and a pick to the Mavs for Seth Curry. And I actually love that trade for both teams. Um, You know, the Mavs. They drafted Tyrell Terry with the late first-round pick, who I project is literally Seth Curry in my profiles. Um, So I feel like they just got a young Seth Curry. But Seth is more... I think he's better than people think. He is an incredible shooter in his own right, just like his brother. But, you know, statistically speaking, he was the best catch-and-shooter from three last season in the NBA. Shot 48% on catch-and-shoot threes. And the narrative always, always around the Sixers is can Ben Simmons and Joel Bede coexist? Well, it's always about floor spacing. And that floor spacing, I'll touch again, took a huge hit with Al Horford and Joel Embiid. 
Yes, they can both shoot threes, but they're both slower, and it just it's not a cohesive, fast-running offense with both of them. But now that Horford's gone, and you know, you bring in a guy like Seth Curry, he's going to play big minutes. It's exactly what Ben Simmons wants. Angelo Embiid doubles to Embiid; he can kick it out to Curry. Um, you know, Ben Simmons can obviously one of the best passers in the league. Always hit Curry for catch and shoot threes. And it's not just like a solid shooter. Like I touched on, he is an amazing catch and shooter. I know people hate on Danny Green, and rightfully so. He was buns in the playoffs, but he has a career of hitting threes as well. And what these moves are, it's very Daryl Morey. It's opening the floor spacing um, and just helping their long-distance shooting. And then they drafted someone who really fell in the draft, Tyrese Maxey. Maxi is not quite a plus shooter, but he seems to be capable. And, you know, Maxi, again, is a very good defender, uh, ball handler, just kind of an in-between combo guard who I think can play a valuable bench role. You know, the, the Sixers have guys like Shake Milton, but I think Maxi is definitely an upgrade on their bench playmaking. They also bring in Dwight Howard as a uh, backup rim-rolling guy who, again, just in a small role, as we saw with the Lakers, can do his thing, get tough rebounds and rim run. The Sixers are going to have a great defense. I mean, they were a great defense last year. Some of the best premier defenders in the entire league with Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul. I like the small adjustments they made. And like I said, getting rid of Al Horford is addition by subtraction. So I'm pretty hyped to see the Sixers this year because, again, there's no one's talking about them. It doesn't seem like they have that same pressure as they did in years past. And who knows with this East, really. Um, I mean, they could be as high as a two-seed, potentially. And I think they have just as good a chance as some of the other big dogs in the East to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals and really make a late push. So I'm really hyped to see how the Sixers' core shakes out this year. And now I'll go to the third and last team of this podcast, and I'm going to go to the West Coast this time. And look, I think there is a mentality that young teams can kind of just get better. And, you know, let me say that a little more clearly and a little more specifically, that basically you can have a, a lot of high draft picks, they may be playing bad in their rookie years, but then they'll continue to grow and grow, just like in a video game. You know, they'll just upgrade every year. And they'll eventually become a super team. Um, but it's just not how it works. And, you know, examples of the Bulls, the Knicks, um, the Cavs. I mean, they have a lot of lottery picks. It's just, it doesn't always work out like that. And it's, it takes multiple things, it takes culture, coaching especially, Coaching is maybe the most important thing in terms of player development and team development. And then, you know, we bring in some vets like the Hawks did. They kind of went, you know, the extreme example of bringing in veterans this offseason. But, you know, bring in vets, make swaps, figure out how your team gels together. And then down the line, you know, is when you become a player in free agency and so on and so forth. But there's a young team in the West that, you know, just missed the playoffs last season and... I don't think there's any reason to doubt them. And that's the Memphis Grizzlies. 
And look, projecting the Western Conference is incredibly hard. I mean, I was really pulling teeth here with what the Grizzlies could do, how if they're really exceeding expectations. But, you know, I think there are teams that might fall a bit in the West and the Grizzlies could take advantage of that and maybe play their way to even being like a sixth seed. You know, I, I, I just mentioned the mentality of young teams getting better and you have the Grizzlies who are that young team. But the reason I, I think they really are a dark horse is that I think they have those building blocks in place and I think they have that culture there set. If you watch the Grizzlies last year, this team is just like relentless. They, you know, I try to avoid sports cliches like this, but they were not afraid of anyone. I could not, you know, praise Ja Morant enough. That dude is just a dog, has respect around the league. And, you know, the Grizzlies made it to the bubble and were so close to the NBA playoffs. They did the play in with the Blazers, who, you know, this is another team I love and were just red hot and... You know, they finished as a nine seed, the Grizzlies. They didn't make it to the playoffs. And they're still a very young team, and they didn't acquire many veterans. But like I said, I think there's just things in place here that are really going to sustain success. And it's not just the culture. I love the makeup of their roster. The Grizzlies roster is exactly the kind of roster I would try to construct if I was an NBA GM. You know, they had their two high draft picks, one went to a point guard who's going to be a superstar, John Morant. And the other one's, you know, the, the forward who can stretch the floor but also defend the paint, and that's Jaron Jackson. Then, surrounded with Jaw are shooters, three and D guys, and then they have a nice scoring center with Jonas Valanciunas. And look, I think when I said that, you know, young players can't just expect them to keep getting better and better, I mean... Look at John Morant last year. It's pretty obvious this dude's going to be an all-star this year. Just a franchise point guard. Gives you everything you want. But let's talk about the additions. And they really weren't free agent additions, but they're draft additions. I love both of them. First, Desmond Bain. He's a super late first-round pick. But this is the thing with Desmond Bain. People, uh, draft analysts, all typically had Desmond Bain somewhere in like the... 15 to 20 range and he fell and it's probably because he's a little older he's 22 years old but when you bring in a guy like Bain it's almost like a free agent signing you know I don't think Desmond Bain's going to be a superstar whatsoever but he's so clearly going to come into the league to me and just be an immediate you know productive 3 and D player I think guys like Trevor Ariza um just a nice build for a small forward and he's one of the best shooters in the draft competitive and I think he's going to see a good amount of minutes uh, his you know first year with the Grizzlies it's almost like bringing in a small free agent and they got Xavier Tillman which you know I don't usually like to talk about second rounders as playing big roles in their rookie year but Tillman is just one of the best power forwards in this draft to me and Again, he was projected a late first rounder by a lot, a lot of people. Most draft analysts I saw had Tillman going in the 20s. But here he is, and he fell with the Grizzlies. And again, I think it'd be a nice rim runner for, for John Morant to play with. And again, their roster construction. I mean, Dylan Brooks, just great shooter, nice secondary piece. Kyle Singler was one of the best. Or excuse me, Kyle Anderson, not Kyle Singler. Legend, though. Kyle Anderson statistically one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA. 
you know, he's a limited player on offense, but incredible defender. And then there technically is a new addition to this team, and that's Justice Winslow. Winslow was injured for almost all of last season, but they acquired Winslow in a trade with the Heat uh, for Andre Iguodala. Justice Winslow is a really unique player, also one of the best perimeter defenders in the draft. And you know how I talked about secondary playmaking uh, with the Hawks and Trey Young and now how he has other guys? Well, Winslow can do that. Winslow in these past two seasons has averaged over four assists per game. He is a great pick-and-roll operator. And, you know, even though he's more of a, a wing, he's, he's kind of like a point-forward type. Actually pretty similar to Andre Iguodala. Now, Winslow isn't the best shooter, but he's capable. And I really think it's going to be a nice punch for this offense. And I'm interested to see where Winslow falls in the rotation. I think he has sixth man written all over him. But... You know, he's, he's almost like a Swiss Army knife and can really be used all over. And again, look, the young guys, John Rand and Jaron Jackson. Jackson's kind of an interesting player, um, just in terms of what he projects to be. But, you know, statistically speaking, I mean, this he projects as almost like a Pascal Siakam type. You know, can protect the paint, switch onto per- the perimeter, long and lanky. And really young, too. I mean, Jackson can stretch the floor. He's actually already a great shooter. But as he builds strength, I really don't know what his ceiling is. I mean, he could be a, he could be an all-star in his own right. And again, you have guys like Brandon Clark, who made an all-rookie team last year. Just a solid role player. Maybe this team is a year away. And again, I'm not saying they're going to be title contenders by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, if... There's always surprise teams. I mean, we, no one predicted the Thunder to make the playoffs last year or get anywhere close. And I think saying the Grizzlies are an eight seed is not really that bold, but I think they can make enough noise and really fight their way, maybe even to a six seed. I just believe in their culture. I believe in Ja and Jaron and just the roster construction, the new rookies coming in, Justice Winslow. I just think it's a perfect storm for them. So I'm really excited to see how the Grizzlies develop and you know how their team does in the really competitive Western Conference this year. So that's going to do it, y'all. I, uh, I really appreciate y'all tuning in and uh, going to try to get these podcasts up more consistently. But if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can check out the point god at instagram.com slash v.pointgod. Again, the username is v.pointgod. Uh, you can follow us on my writing at thepointgod.com and on dailyknicks.com where I cover the miserable New York Knicks. And, you know, once again, just love to have everyone be a part of the sports community that I'm trying to create. And please continue to tune in and, you know, follow along on Instagram if you can. Hopefully I'll see you guys soon and I appreciate y'all for listening. Peace.